So, Father, thank you that um, we can be here this evening. Thank you that we have this place. Thank you that um, your word will light our path and show us the way forward. Thank you that it will make many other things clear for us, things in this world, things in our families, things in our lives that, that may be a little bit confusing or chaotic. Your word will set straight and will uh, be the plumb line, actually, that we can measure all other things against. And thank you, Father, that you're giving us understanding of it and that we are growing in a knowledge of you and that, and that knowledge is causing us to love you better. And that's what we want to do, Lord. We want to love you more, serve you better. We want to be ambassadors for Christ Jesus and to live to glorify his name. And so uh, that's the purpose, Lord. That's why we want to hear from you in your word, that we might better do all of those things. So I pray for this evening, I pray that you'll give us understanding, wisdom, that you would enable us to apply some of the things we're going to talk about, and that it won't just be left here tonight, it will be taken on with us. And I know that it will, Lord, and for that I thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Um, okay, so Second Timothy chapter 1, we're going to go back to verse 8, and read all the way through to chapter 2, verse 13. So... Um, can you just read a few verses and then um, we'll get to 2.13. So from verse 8 of chapter 1, please. Do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or me, his prisoner, but join with me in the suffering of the gospel according to the power of God. You must save us and call us for the holy glory, not according to our works, When he was in Rome, he eagerly searched for me and found me. The Lord grant to him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you know very well what services he rendered at Ephesus. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. John, I'm like a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. 
does not receive the victor's crown unless he completes according to the rules. The hard-working farmer should be the first to receive the share of the crops. Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. Remember Yeshua the Messiah, who was raised from the dead, who is descended to David. This is the good news of the of which I am suffering when I am bound in chains. But the word of God is not bound in chains. Why do I persevere through it all? For the sake of those who reaches, that they too may obtain the deliverance that comes through the Messiah, Yeshua. It is a trustworthy statement. For if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. So um, Paul begins that uh, where we started from in verse 8. It's the beginning of a new section, and he begins it with the word therefore. So therefore what? What's the therefore, therefore? Yes, I think because of verse 7, because for God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline, or as um, uh, Mike said, sound mind. And also because of the first from the beginning, actually, because he's been uh, taught by his mother and grandmother, because he's been, he has a gift from the Holy Spirit, because, um, um, yeah, because he is who he is and what God has done in his life, but definitely because he's been given this spirit of power and love and discipline, he is to uh, not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or me, his prisoner. So what would be the connection then? Why would Paul take that therefore, because you've been given this spirit of power, love and discipline, and transfer that to be therefore don't be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord or of me, his prisoner? What's the connection? Yes. So this, in a sense, is could make some of the followers wonder. Exactly. Yes, because he's imprisoned as a criminal. He's not imprisoned. Um, yeah, that's what he was. He he would be called a, a criminal. And as you say, that would look wrong in the sight of Israel. That would look wrong in the sight of Israel uh, in, of the Jews. And also because he was talking about a crucified saviour. So the, the testimony of the Lord is that he died, actually. That's part of it, isn't it? That he died, he lived and he died, and he wasn't believed by the religious establishment. So to the outside eye, he looks like a failure. Christ looks like a failure. Um, and so um, what Paul is saying to Timothy is, you have been given a spirit of power and of love and of discipline. So you are enabled, particularly, to stand against that outside impression and to stand for the truth. Um, so don't be ashamed. What is the testimony of our Lord? What is it, actually? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's the testimony of the Lord. It's actually the gospel message. 
It's the, the gospel of the grace of God that he came, he lived, he died, he was buried, he was raised on the third day, all according to scripture, and that he will come again. That's the testimony of the Lord, isn't it? Because uh, we're told when we do the communion service, uh, we are to proclaim that proclaims the Lord's death until he comes. So uh, it's not simply that he died and rose again, although that is the means by which we're saved, but it is also the promise that he will come again um, and align all things to his own will and purpose. Um, so Timothy's not to be ashamed of that. And Paul um, quotes himself as an example. I am not ashamed. For this reason, I suffer all these things, he says in verse 12. But I am not ashamed. And Paul says, I'm not ashamed because I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted him until that day. What's that day? When the Lord returns. When the Lord returns. So... Uh, Paul in that kind of few verses has encapsulated the testimony of the Lord and, and what it actually means, what Jesus, who he is and, and what, what it means. And um, yeah, the cross didn't look like victory. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it is. But in terms of don't be ashamed, it's it's the, this way. It's the fact that I know whom I have believed, but I am preaching a gospel that is hard to believe, actually, from the outside, from unbelievers. You are telling people that you believe in a saviour who died, who was buried. You, you are telling people that he rose again on the third day. Well, that in itself is a little bit as I say, E.T. phone home. It's a little bit, you know, like a science fiction movie. And then to say that that crucified saviour is definitely coming back. And when he comes, I'm going to meet him in the air. And then he's going to come and stand on the planet. When you tell people these things, exactly. Yeah. Yes. No, yes, but that's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about is to Timothy that you are trying to, you are going to be preaching a message that people will think is slightly ridiculous. And also that might bring you suffering because that's he's suffering for that gospel. And so what he's trying to do with Timothy is to shore him up and say, because I think obviously Timothy might have been ashamed, that otherwise why would God write that to him? Why would he write it to us? So maybe you're not, Mike, because maybe that's not the way that you might respond or react to things. But it's certainly, obviously, something that the, the church at large might be ashamed about. Yeah. And so that's why it's there, isn't it? So even though you may not feel that or other people may not personally feel that, it is definitely possible. Otherwise, why would God write it? So don't be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord or of me, his prisoner. And Paul's writing that. Why? Why is he saying about or of me? Because he's in prison and... Yeah, yeah. He's not exactly the victorious yeah, religious leader. But also, everybody left him in Asia. He says all, which is amazing to me, you are aware of the fact that all who are in Asia turned away from me. So I don't know whether he's talking about every single believer, but he's certainly talking about the leaders yeah. in Asia. The, yes. 
So they obviously were ashamed. So I think it's not simple embarrassment he's talking about. The ashamed is including fear. Yes, because it's the fear that if I actually align myself with this person, I might go the same way. Yes. Yes. Me, yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah. Yes, yes. The gospel message to human ears does not make sense. It's the foolishness of God that brings you know, down the wisdom of man. That when you preach the gospel, you can see people's eyes glaze over. And you can see they think you're slightly nutty because you're talking about something that cannot possibly be true. Yeah, and also it is hocus-pocus. You know, he, he was in the, in the tomb for, for, you know, actually what turned out to be two days and rose on the third day. I mean, that doesn't make any sense, humanly speaking. And so there is this, this embarrassment, this shame. And also, as I say, I think Paul is including in, in that the idea of fear, that you might be afraid of what, would, you know, what being a part of that will do, yeah, the repercussions. Um, so Paul will say, don't be ashamed, but, um, uh, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. What does that mean? According to the power of God, join with me in suffering for the gospel. Okay. Yeah. Yes. There's that. It's God's power that will enable us to endure the suffering, but also. Um, Uh, Join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. Right, yeah. There's a lot of accordings there. So, suffering for the gospel according to the power of God... Not according to works, which we we know is is, um, but it's according to grace. But according to His own purpose and grace. So, if you connect those three accordings, what you end up with is that it it is God's purpose, or God's purpose is fulfilled in a Christian who suffers for the gospel. That His power is revealed in the person who suffers for the gospel, which is according to his purpose and plan. Now, yeah, you're frowning because that's kind of, it's, it's a complicated thing. But if, if, if a Christian is, will suffer for the sake of the gospel, what does that do about the gospel message that they preach? There you go. It enhances and affirms it. And actually, if you're enhancing and affirming a message, words of, of Jesus, what are you actually also doing? Yeah. But if you're making it feel more, sound more true, look more true, appear, whatever, if you're, if you're doing that, aren't you exalting the name of Christ? Because not only are you speaking this word in a, into a situation where you're sitting over dinner with people, but you're continuing to speak it when that same word has caused you suffering, uh, maybe imprisonment, maybe whatever else. And that, God says, is, is a, that's his purpose. 
according to his purpose and grace. It's not solely his purpose that we suffer, obviously, but it, his, his purposes and plans are made more or are exalted more in the suffering of his people. And, um, you know, that's quite an amazing thing. Um, because it actually turns what we think about suffering on its head, or what the world thinks about suffering, let's put it that way. Um, you know, why would you die for a saviour you cannot touch or see or hear audibly? Why would you submit to the suffering that is going, it, that happens? And the only reason is because you are convinced that he is who he says he is, and that you have a compelling knowledge of that saviour that would cause you to put up with that suffering. Um, and it, it, it's, all in that, in, it's all in those verses which are talking about, don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel. Join me, choose to join me in suffering for the gospel. Yes, momentary light afflictions. Yeah. So, um, so he's saying that, that this God, this power of God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity, but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to life through the gospel. It's a long sentence, and he's not finished it yet. So there's a long... Uh, for which I was appointed, he's going to go on. But let's have a think about that calling. What does he mean in terms of holy calling? Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling. And, and, and the calling to a plan and a purpose that was set before time began. Yes, yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Definitely very crucial. I think the called with a holy calling is twofold. I think because God calls us, it's holy because he is holy, holy, holy. He um, has called us holy, so we're able to fulfill a holy calling. And he is making us holy uh, because he is a God who makes us holy. So um, everything about our calling, everything about um, God's plan for our life is holiness. He called us with a holy calling, um, and uh, which actually was according to his own purpose and grace granted in us, granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. So we have this calling from God, this holy calling. So it's a calling... It's a call that makes us holy once we receive it, and it is a call that calls us to holiness. So the two things are going on. And it was granted in Christ Jesus from all eternal eternity. So think about that. I mean, God knows the end from the beginning. He doesn't have an end or a beginning. He, he, he is outside of time. End and beginning don't exist for him. It, it's a continuum. And, and so he called us, and, and that call was recognized and revealed in Christ Jesus. 
I mean, the call was, was made before time began, before he created the world, but it was revealed to us in Christ Jesus. Um, uh, and it was revealed, when he revealed the calling, he revealed the plan of God, the purpose and the grace of God. What is the purpose of God? Yes. But it wasn't actually revealed until Jesus. Exactly. There were hints to it, weren't there? Throughout the Old Testament, you know, you get all of the things about salvation, redemption, forgiveness, all of it's there, but it's almost like it's hidden slightly in shadow and then revealed in the full light of Christ. But what is God's purpose? Yeah, usher in the kingdom of God. And what will that kingdom be like then? Yeah, perfect. Yes, and so what is that actually, Carol? Yes, that's right, but what, what will that be? I mean, when you say that we're going to be brought round to be more like him, what does that kind of, how will that be? What will that institute? Right, but if, if his plan, his purpose is that holiness, then that must be his purpose for all of mankind, for he wants none to perish, but all to come to repentance. So when he created the world, what was his purpose for the world? Yeah, relationship and holiness. Holiness and relationship. So that we would be holy as he is holy because that's what he created Adam and Eve for. But they fell. And so everything from before the beginning of our beginning, (laughs) before the beginning of the world, has been an effort to bring, or not an effort, but a work, to bring mankind, actually all of creation, back into right relationship with him. Because that's what he created it all for. So Paul will say in Romans, you know, the whole creation groans, waiting for the sons of God to be revealed. So there's this sense that the purpose of God was for relationship with a human race or a race of people. And everything that he's done from the beginning to and will do to the end has the purpose of bringing people back into relationship with him, bringing the creation back into relationship with him. Um, In, in Genesis 6, he says, yes, he's, he's sorry that he made man because the wickedness had piled so high and he sent the flood. Yes, but that still doesn't undermine his purpose from the beginning of time. He knew this was going to happen, didn't he? Yeah. Because, yes, because once you get that phrase in there, which Paul is always careful to put, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity... So once he says that phrase, there's no time as we know it in there. So yes, he was. He he. It says he was sorry. He grieved in his heart that he had made man. Genesis six, because of the wickedness of man. But that still didn't change his plan, which was set before eternity. Was actually set before he made man. Um, and but was not revealed until Christ. Um, came and died and was resurrected. But I think it's quite important that we see that God, Jesus is God, and so his plan and purpose from all eternity was to bring us into right relationship with God. And John will talk about that in 1 John. He'll talk about this fellowship that we have with God and with Jesus and and the joy that that brings and, and that that's where we're 
That's where we're created to be, in that relationship. So the way that God is working that plan out is how? How is he working that plan to get you know, humanity back into the right place? Through us who believe, because we who believe do what? We tell others. We preach the gospel and we live the gospel and we're willing to suffer for the gospel and even die for the gospel because we trust the plan and the purpose of God and because his plan and purpose has become our plan and purpose. And the means by which he is going to accomplish his plan is, as he says, it was revealed in Christ Jesus. So now it is accomplished through Christ Jesus and through the people who have, are now in him and he is in them. Yes, yes. Before the world began. Mm. Yeah, I think it's Revelation uh, maybe 13, 5, the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. So Christ, outside of our time, obviously in our time, he was slain 2,000 years ago, but outside of time, which is where God exists, um, he was slain before the foundation of the world, which means before anything was made, Christ died. It's hard to get your head around, isn't it? Yeah, it's impossible. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But it's so important, Anne, actually, that we hold on to it because everything about our salvation hinges on that, that he knew how we would be, but still he did it. Yeah. And... And, and yeah, and still he, he knew too that there would be millions, maybe billions of people who would always reject him. But still he died for them. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So every person who has ever lived, Christ died for. And billions of them will say, no, I don't want that. And they'll reject him. So the love of God that we talk about so freely and that we bat around inside the church, God loves us and blah, blah, blah. We have no conception of that sort of love that would know that rejection and still still choose to do the same thing. And, and, and also, not just the, the love of God is shown to be what it is, but also the fact that he gives us choice is shown in that that God, he, Christ was slain before the foundation of the world, that people would come into right harmony with him, would have a way to do that, and, but people could still choose. So you can choose whether you believe, and after you've believed and been justified, you can choose whether you're sanctified and how fast that will happen. And in a way, you can choose your glorification because we're told in Second uh, Corinthians chapter 3 that we are changed from glory to glory, as to the Lord. Uh, beholding as in a mirror the, the glory of the Lord, we are changed from that, from glory to glory. So there's this idea throughout Scripture that God gave us choice. And the reason he gave us choice was because he so loved us. So the whole of his plan is... is I can't even put it into words. I mean, I'm not doing it justice because... But it, can you see how important it is that we choose 
sanctification, that we choose to do what we know God wants us to do. Because otherwise, what we're saying is, I, I maybe want the benefit of the whatever salvation you're giving me, but I'm not prepared to bow my knee to that salvation or to, to go along with your work, or at least you, I'll go along so far, but this is a bit too hard, God, so I'm not going to go there. So how important it is to know this stuff and to know that God is moving, his plan is for all of us to live in harmony with him. And the way we do that is we will even suffer for the gospel, knowing that is God's will for our life and for the life of his people. It's, yeah, I, I fear that I'm not doing it justice because I think there's so much in here about this um, plan and purpose of God um, Yeah, we, I just said that. I think you missed it. You were getting your yoga or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I I believe like like Job, for example. Job never understood the story behind his story. He never knew it. He he didn't know that angels were watching. That every every being in the spiritual realms were watching him to see how he would respond to the life and all of the changes that happened in his life. And even when he got to see God, he got no explanation. God didn't say, oh, yeah, but if you'd known what was going on, if you'd known the rejoicing that went on in heaven. So I think that about us. I don't think Paul understood the rejoicing that went on when he could write from his prison cell, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, it, And that's harmony with the Lord, isn't it? That's that's totally uniting yourself with his purpose and his grace. So we talk about our purpose is to glorify God and we do that by witnessing for him and, and speaking the gospel and doing our best to live the gospel. But what we're called into is so much bigger than that. It's to live in such a way that we know our life is hidden with Christ in God that we are now so aligned with Christ. And the more we understand that aligning and that harmony, the more we are willing to go along with everything that God has for us. And it's a tragedy when Christians don't understand that because there's joy in it and peace and glory in it. Um, and we're, we're, I mean, people say this all the time, but we're muddling around in the mud and there's this glory. I've given to them. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. As Christians. Mm. Yes. Mm. And another thing, you know, I was outside the front of the church today and you see people going in and you think, what do they really want? And mm. they draw into mm. that place. Mm. And you know, they come in and they say, oh, the architecture is mm. wonderful. Mm. But they have come for something mm. And you know, it really struck me how to speak to them. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's so important. Mm. Just give them the opportunity mm. to find Jesus. Yeah, exactly. 
Exactly. And that's what I think he's talking, that's what he's saying to Timothy, and that's what God's saying to us. Don't be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord. No matter how difficult, no matter where you are, no matter what the response, don't be ashamed or afraid of this gospel because it is life and death. It is, you know, the doorway into harmony with God. And, um, yeah. So, um, you know, why is he saying all this to Timothy? Because Timothy is going to go on. He's, he's Paul's successor. He's going to go on in the ministry that Paul has. Um, and he's going to actually take the gospel to places Paul didn't take it. And he's going to disciple the people that Paul converted. And that's an amazing thing. And, and from what we hear about Timothy, he was timid and he was... You know, he was fairly young and he wasn't particularly healthy. So he needed to understand about the power of God that was at work in him, the power of God that would protect him, the power of God that would enable him to do what he was called to do. And we need that too, because we look at ourselves and see someone, we, we inevitably we look at ourselves individually. And we see all the weakness and all the failing and everything else. And so we can't quite grasp that God might actually do this sort of thing through us. It's too big and too glorious. So that's why Paul's telling Timothy, you know, um, uh, join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity, but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and a teacher. For this reason I suffer all these things." So um, 2 Timothy chapter 1, back in verse 11 and 12. For this reason I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. That day is what? Did I just ask that question? Oh, did I? Sorry. Okay, the day that you... <laughs> the day that... Uh, the fulfillment of God's plan. Um, whether he means that day when he sees Christ, in the when because he, he knows he's dying and he knows he's going to see Christ soon, or whether he's talking about a time at the end when all things will be made into the way they're supposed to be. Um, but it doesn't really matter much. Um, Paul knows my soul is, I've entrusted my soul to the only one who can keep it. And... Um, um, and, and, and that's what it's about, isn't it? This is the core of the gospel that, you know, we trust, we trust Christ. We trust who he is. He's God. And we put our trust in him. And it's only after we put our trust in him that we start to understand more of his promises. And, the, and we start to experience the life that we have in him. But when we first came, we put our trust in Christ we heard he is, a, he is God, he is man. He died for my sin. He was raised from the dead. And, and we choose to put our trust in that saviour. And then we start learning about all the rest of it. You didn't learn, well, some people, I suppose, study the Bible and then they're converted. But, but mostly we, re, we re, hear the gospel and then we start looking into um, the truth. So the grace that is given to us in Christ Jesus, who abolished death, it actually is um, 
defeated death. Um, what, what do you have in your Bible, Simon, your word for that? Abolished, who abolished? It's um, verse 12, 10, sorry. But now has been, yeah, who abolished death and brought life. Mm. Oh, you, d- you have abolished, do you? That word abolished, okay. Mm. Okay. Um, I had a different word as, uh, for that as well, but I can't destroyed find it now. Destroyed death, yes, thank you. Destroyed death. Um, so he is the destroyer of death, but the bringer, the revealer of life and immortality. Um, yeah, so Paul is basically saying, I know that I, I've trusted Christ to, to God, my soul and my spirit and all, all that I am. And, um, and he, he's talking about immortality here because he knows that he is going to get a resurrection body, that there is going to be a physical resurrection um, the present body corrupts and decays and dies, but the glorified body will live forever. And that's, he knows that. Um, yeah. Yeah. It is lovely. Yeah. It is. Swallowed up by love. Yeah, it is. It is. And Paul knew that and wanted to tell Timothy that because whatever happened to his earthly body didn't matter because he knew that he would have immortality. And he was telling Timothy, don't be ashamed. God is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond anything you can ask or think. He is able to keep you and will keep you. And... um, and and he's going to say, and you know, don't be ashamed of me either, because they all left him. They all left him. Um, and you know, that's true for us, isn't it? I mean, we live in a in a world that that values numbers and and popularity. And you know, it would be easy to say, you know, oh, sorry. to say. Um, you know, I'm not going to go to Desiring Truth. There's no more than 10 people there all the time. That can't be any good. Do you know what I mean? It would be easy to say that. Easy to say, oh, I'm going to go over here where they've got all these people going and blah, blah, blah. It's easy to, to go along with the crowd because it's you, you stay comfortable in the crowd. It's when you pull yourself out of it and say, no, I actually think this is, this is where I'm supposed to be or I'm supposed to do that. Or Then you start to um, have not only the... Uh, responses from other people but responses from the enemy who's saying to you this or that or the other thing and it's easy to become afraid and what Paul is saying to Timothy is don't be afraid don't be ashamed keep going you have a God who is powerful who holds the end who knows the end from the beginning and holds all things Mm, yeah yeah exactly Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I think that's it. Exactly, yeah, thank you, Eve, yeah. And, and, and to know that, I mean, what Paul says here, salvation is not about believing certain doctrines. It's about trusting Christ. You see, the church is full of people who believe doctrines, but they don't have a relationship with Jesus. And, and that's the whole point, isn't it? That's what he says in Matthew 7. Many will come to me on that day and, I'll say, and they'll say, I did this and I did that and I did the other thing. And he'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. 
So it's, it's, it's possible to go your whole life thinking that you are a believer, a Christian, and actually end up not being because you've never had a relationship with Jesus. And relationships can't be faked. You either know you have one or you don't. You can fake doctrine. I mean, you can fake your knowledge of doctrine. You can bone up on it all and be able to spout the word and know the tenets of your faith and all of that, but you cannot fake a relationship. You know, maybe I can fake a relationship with Christ to all of you, but between me and God, I know whether that's going on or not. You know, I might look at it and think, wow, it's not what it should be, or I'm failing miserably, or I should be knowing him better by now, but whatever, I know I have a relationship with Christ Jesus. And that's the thing. And and this is what Paul's saying. And he's 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 going to remind Timothy, in all of this, he's reminding Timothy, don't worry, don't worry, no matter your outward circumstances, God will keep you. He will see you through. Yeah. And that's what you know. Jude says, doesn't he? That he writes, and at the first verse, Jude says, to, "To the beloved, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ, guarded for Jesus." That's what God is doing. Paul says, "I am. I know. I am convinced. He is able to guard what I have entrusted to him." Um, and then he's going to go on to say, "Retain the standard of sound words which you heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. God through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us, the treasure which has been entrusted to you." I think we said last week, "What is the treasure that's been entrusted to him?" Um, that's a question. What is the treasure? Yeah, yeah. I think it's the gospel, the gospel message, the gospel of the grace of God and all that that entails. That is the treasure that he has been entrusted with. Because that's um, verse uh, 14. God through the Holy Spirit, chapter 1, who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. Um, um, you know, it's reminiscence of, reminiscent of uh, Paul will write, I think, to the Colossians, that in Christ are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, that, that, that Timothy has been given the knowledge of Christ um, and he has been entrusted with the gospel message. And the gospel message is, isn't simply that Jesus came, that he lived, that he died, that he was buried, that he was raised, and that he will come again. That is not... It, when Paul talks about the gospel of the grace of God, he's talking about it in its entirety. All that God is, is found in Jesus. He'll say in Colossians that all the fullness of deity dwelt in him in bodily form. Everything about God is in Christ Jesus. And so when you're preaching a gospel or you're teaching about Jesus, you are actually teaching about God and all that he is in Christ. If, if, if you were to just break Jesus up into little tiny pieces, you'd find all these truths about God. He is holy, he is righteous, he is just, he is merciful, he is gracious, he is slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness, he is compassionate, he is... He is wonderful. He is, he is uh, omniscient and omnipotent. Christ is all of those things. And that is the gospel message that this God took on flesh and died in your place. And it is not a God who was a secondary God or a half God. or a, It's the holy God who took on flesh. And that's what separates 
Christianity, from every other type of cult or religion, that we know our God came to us. It's a completely different message than any other religion and even the cults. Mormonism, which calls itself a church, does not believe that Christ is God. Jehovah's Witnesses do not believe that Christ is God. All of, none of the cults believe that Christ is God. And that's what separates. And that is the faith that was handed down. That is the faith that was once for all handed down to the saints. And that is the faith that we are to contend earnestly for. And that is the faith that um, Timothy was to guard. Guard what has been entrusted to you. The faith, the faith, the faith that was handed to you or you received in the gospel and is, is passed on in the gospel message. So there are other essentials to faith than just that Christ is the Son of God. You know, there are other essentials. Christ is not simply the Son of God. He is also God. It's, can you work that out? No. How can we work that out? No one has ever been able to explain the Trinity adequately. We've got lots of little examples like the egg and water and ice and, and, and steam, but we have no real way of understanding or explaining the Trinity, which is why it's so easily pushed aside. Yes. 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 No. You do, you do, except that what, yes, you do, Simon, but I think like everything with the, when we're trying to describe something that's actually indescribable, is we have to be really careful because um, Jesus being baptized with the Holy Spirit or coming on him like a dove um, actually is taken by people to say that Jesus had to be born again. Like us, he had to be baptized with the Spirit. That only when he was, when the dove came on him or the Holy Spirit came on him, was he able to go out then and do all those things. I know, yeah. Three different, three different parts of the Trinity. Yes, I know you are, but but it's easy to go that way because because Jesus was God before. Before that, he was God in the flesh. And I can't understand it. I can't. I don't know how he's the son of God and God, but he is God. Mary. Mm. Yeah, but, but Jesus is God. So it's it's and I don't want to dwell on it because it's impossible to understand. Impossible. Go ahead. Yeah. Yes. Yes. In terms, oh no, we have a relationship with God 
We have a relationship with God, but God has decided, because of our human brain, I think, because we're pea brains, that it's easier for us to understand God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And as you're, you're right, Simon, that there's many pictures of that. In Genesis chapter 1, God spoke, and the Spirit of God was hovering above the waters. So we understand straight away there's a Spirit. You know, we see that delineation. We need it. But actually, God is Spirit. The Old Testament says God is spirit. So what is, what is he? Is he Holy Spirit or is he God or what, what, what is he? And, and, and yeah, God is one. He's one. Yes. No, he isn't. No. Yes, it is. It is, that's true, it is. But when um, Isaiah saw God, who did he see? When Isaiah in chapter 6 said, um, you know, the train of his robe was filling the temple and the seraphim were saying this, that and the other, who did he see? He saw who he described as God. But John's gospel tells us he saw Jesus. Yeah, but John says he described Jesus. So I'm not trying to, I mean, what I'm trying to say is it's so important for us to understand Jesus is God he is God in the flesh, God incarnate. But the Son of God is God because everything about God is in the Son of God. You can't separate things. So I'm only saying that because everything about the unity that God is trying to bring into the human race, everything about this harmony with God depends on the gospel of Christ. And if, if our understanding of Christ or our preaching of Christ is in any way short of God's explanation of him, we are not preaching the gospel and we are bringing Christ down. And we're, we do it sometimes because we simply cannot understand the exaltation and the glory and the wonder of him. Yeah, it's easier for us. So I'm not trying to say any of those things are wrong. There is, God does separate Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And Jesus does talk about, Father, you know, I'm leaving them to you. Keep them from the evil one. We, it, the Bible tells us that he's at the right hand of God the Father, interceding for us. So in no way am I bothered about Of course not. That's the truth. But, but the truth also is that he is the image of the invisible God. Colossians 1, he is the image of the invisible God. In him, all the fullness of deity dwelt in bodily form. It is amazing. Yeah. You see Jesus. Yeah. You see the yeah. The representation of God to human beings. Yeah. I think probably, yeah, probably. Yeah, Melchizedek. It's another enigma in there, isn't it? It's not quite simple, but yeah, I think so. Anyway, sorry about that. That was a bit of a, a tandem or a, a rabbit trail. <laughs> so, Paul um, uh, saying that he's doing these things. I'm not ashamed. Um, where is he? Uh, I might even have gone too far. Yeah, where am I? Where he's talking about? He's, he's suffering these things for the sake of those who are chosen. Where is that? 
Um, oh, yeah, sorry. It's, I'm gone, I've gone quickly into verse 10 of chapter 2, but not that we're not going to go back again. But for this reason, I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen so that they also might obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus and with it eternal glory. So for this reason, he says, I... Um, well, let's go back a little bit. Um, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer even to imprisonment as a criminal, but the word of God is not imprisoned. For this reason, I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen. What does he mean, those who are chosen? Yeah, for the sake of the elect. So who are the elect? Those that will come to him. Those that will come to him, that will receive Christ, that will believe the gospel message because that is the way that God is bringing them into, back into relationship, right standing with him. So those who will believe are the chosen, the elect. Those who will believe. Um, again, not to labour it too much, but are we going to say that God chooses those who believe? No? But what were you chosen for? Because it hangs out there like we were chosen before the foundation of the world. But were we individually chosen? Like I'll have Angela, but I won't have Eve. And I'll have Rich, but I won't have Brian. Is that how God does it? Who would, who would choose him? So then he chose us. Okay, I'm going to have Anne because she will definitely believe in me. So I don't want to have somebody who wouldn't believe in me, so I'm choosing her. He's given us choice. That is essential to love. If love is forced in any way, it is not chosen. And if you force love, it's like making robots. Why didn't he just make robots and everybody would love him in the first place? There has to be choice. Choice exalts love, actually. It, it raises the bar that we actually choose to love someone. It makes them... Exactly. And what we're doing when we choose to love someone is we are ascribing worth to them. We're saying, exactly, I'm loving you. And loving in the way we talk about it is not even close to what God is doing. But, but so the chosen, who are the chosen? The chosen are those who choose to put their trust in Jesus. And they're chosen by God because he made a promise before all eternity that everyone who puts their trust in Jesus will be saved. Well, you see, what, is, what are we predestined to? No, actually the scriptures are quite specific. We are chosen before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Ephesians chapter 1. For God, um, we're blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Um, yeah, we'll go to Ephesians. Ephesians 1, uh, I think it's about verse 4. And it says, "Who? Um, well, if you get there before me, just read that verse. No, here it's, Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. What did he chose us for? choose us for, to be holy and blameless. And so it's basically God, 
Christ made available this relationship with God and every one of us can choose. And once you choose his promises, you will stand holy and blameless before me. No, but he is the God who says he will make us holy. I love those verses in Leviticus 11, I think it is, and then just a bit after. Be holy as I am holy. You're not being very holy, Eve. Be holy. And then when you shake in your boots and say, well, I can't be holy, two chapters on, he says, I am the God who makes you holy. It's just wonderful. So that's what it is. It's like, okay, here, I'm presenting myself to you and saying, come to me, be holy as I am holy. And you're saying, I want to come, but I can't do it. So he says, I am the God who will make you holy. I am the God who sanctifies you. To be sin for us. Yeah that we might become the righteousness of God in him. It's, it's an amazing exchange. And, but we are given choice. So the predestined, we are predestined to adoption as sons according to the foreknowledge of God. Yes. So it's, we always want, you know, it's half the sentence, isn't it? Half the sentence. Um, it's a mystery. Of course it's a mystery. Everything about God is a mystery. We, can't, we only can know what he reveals to us. Um, so, um, so Paul, writing to Timothy, wants to tell him that he's suffering for the sake of those. Of, he's suffering for the church, and he's going to continue to do that because he knows that his suffering will have effect for and on the people who will come after him, on the people in the church. And actually, his suffering has had effect on us. We understand about suffering in the will of God because Paul suffered in the will of God. We're given the example of what that looks like and how he continued with it. And um, I talked this morning, and we don't really have the time, but I mentioned Nehemiah who actually cared about the church and asked about them when his brothers, or not the church, cared about um, his brothers in, in Jerusalem and how they were doing with building the wall. And um, he, he says he had some brothers came back to where he was as cupbearer for the king and he asked about Jerusalem. And we talked this morning about asking about the state of the church, finding out about the state of the church here in this country, abroad, knowing who's suffering, what's going on in the body of Christ so that we can do whatever we're called to do. On, and I don't know what that may be. Some people it will be to send money, to send provisions. Some people it will be to pray. Some people it's something else. But to care enough about the body of Christ. And that's what Paul's saying. I'm suffering for the sake of those who will come after me. Um, Acts chapter 4, remember when Peter and John, I talked about this last time, you know, when Peter and John are arrested and told not to talk about Jesus anymore and they go back and their prayer is, oh Lord, please protect us from this so that they don't arrest us anymore. Um, their prayer with their uh, house group, if you like, is give us the courage to continue to speak. Give us the courage to continue. That's what Paul's saying to Timothy, isn't it? Have, keep going, keep going. Yeah, it is. Particularly when nobody's listening. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and when everybody has... Uh, particularly... Well, actually, for me, the tragedy is that those in Asia all turned against him. Yes. It's uh, almost unbelievable. The world is against him. Yeah, yeah. The world exactly, exactly. But he... Exactly. But he knows him in whom he has believed. 
That's the amazing statement, really. That. Yeah. 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 Have you? Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes, they were afraid and ashamed to align themselves with with him. Mm. No, I you know. Yeah. Onesof and Onus whatever his name is, Onesphorus, yeah. It is who sought him out. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so Timothy was to be faithful to the word, faithful to what he'd been entrusted with, um, God, what he'd been entrusted with. Um, he was to be strong in the grace that was in Christ Jesus. We talked about that last time. And, and he was to entrust what he had heard from Paul in the presence of many witnesses. Entrust these. I said this last week. I'm going to say it again. The word men here is people, and all through Timothy, it's all people, not men. It's just the translation that says man uh, or men. Uh, Entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier. And then we um, talked about the soldier and the farmer and the athlete, so we won't go back into that again. Um, but Timothy was to be faithful. To faithful to what? To the gospel, to the word of God, and to his calling, definitely, to his calling, not to be ashamed. But he was also to be faithful to God's servants, to those other people who are also um, committing themselves, surrendering to. Um, he was to be faithful to what he'd been entrusted to do and also to be with those people who... Um, and again, Paul reiterates this idea of fellowship. We can't live the Christian life alone. So for him to have been left by all these people, they'd all turned away from him. I mean, that that's a, a, a hideous thing. Uh, yes. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think, I think Paul knew who he was in Christ, and I, I think... Oh, I think, yes. He converted them, probably, yes. Mm. Mm. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a tricky one because um, if we have choice all the way through our Christian life, which we do, choice to become a Christian, choice to be sanctified, choice to how far we go with the Lord, choice to how much to surrender, then I think Paul, of all people, understood that that the church was made up of all sorts of different surrenderers, if you like, you know. Um, yeah, when you just have to look at that Corinthian letter and you know that he knew what was going on in the church. And I think we have to be careful of that too because, um, I'm preaching to myself, um, because it's very easy to to look at people and think, how can you be saved if you're not doing this and you're, you know, you're, it's very easy to go down that road. But I don't think Paul ever did. I think he just talked to people who said they were believers. He talked to as if they were believers. And then he said, this is how a believer lives. And you can measure yourself against this standard. Um, yeah. Yeah. 
It's difficult because we're also at the same time to uphold the gospel and to contend earnestly for the faith. So there is a difficulty, but I think that uh, in all of it, Paul shows grace and love. Speak the truth in love, for example, he says to the Ephesians. Yes, yes. And... Yes, 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 yes. Well, it's quite difficult. The, one, the, the people that you feel able to say those things to, you also love enough because you, you felt able to say that to them and you wanted to say it to them. So it's really hard then to keep going. You can't see people over and over every day and say, did I tell you I think this is wrong in your love? You, know, you just can't keep doing that. So yeah, I think once, maybe twice. Or and then we trust God, don't we, that he will... He will show. Yeah, he's I th- some, somewhere between sixty and sixty-five. So it was old then. Yeah, yeah. It's very young now, but it was older then. <laughs> very young now. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So. Um, yeah, so uh, he, he's going to carry on now with remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead and come into those verses that we looked at quite a lot last time. We're not going to talk, as I say, about the soldier and the farmer and the athlete, but just to um, remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer even to imprisonment as a criminal, but the word of God is not imprisoned. For this reason I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen so that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus and with it eternal glory. So when Paul is suffering, he knows that his suffering for the gospel magnifies Christ. He knows that it has that result. And that whether people align themselves with him, whether they walk away. Remember Philippians when he said, uh, I don't care the reasons people are preaching the gospel. You know, if they're trying to do me more harm because I'm in prison, the first imprisonment, I don't care as long as Christ is preached. So as far as Paul's concerned, his suffering, his enduring for the gospel is having effect. And um, it's that effect is to exalt Jesus Christ. Um, And to vindicate the plan of God, actually. Remember in Ephesians, Paul says that, um, that uh, the manifold wisdom of God, chapter 3, verse 10, the manifold wisdom of God is made evident in the heavenly places through the church. Three, Ephesians 3, verse 10. So if that's true, then, well, it is true, obviously, but what, God, what Paul is saying is that the church is making known to the spiritual realms, the wisdom of God. And what better way to show the wisdom of God than to be a weak and failing and useless human being who is able by God's power and for his glory to live a life surrendered in whatever that means, whether that means suffering or not, whether that means imprisonment or not, but to choose to live according to the gospel when everything humanly would say, take it out, you know, go out, don't do that, don't do that. That shows the wisdom of God um, and exalts Christ. And that, you know, for Paul was the thing to exalt Jesus Christ. That was the one thing that he wanted to do. Um, when we deliberately remember Christ, what would happen? 
If you deliberately remembered Christ in every situation you were in, every circumstance. Yeah, he would transform it by transforming you. Yeah. You'd speak of him. Yeah. You'd have joy in the suffering. What did you say? Yeah. Yeah. You'll experience the presence of God. Yeah. Um, You'll know the joy set before us because he did. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Um, you'll be reminded that glory awaits you because glory awaited him. And you'll experience the glory now, which is more or less what you're saying. We'll experience the presence of God. Yeah. 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 So um, he finishes here with this is a trustworthy statement, which is where we're going to finish again. I think we finished here last week. This is a trustworthy statement, probably spoken at baptisms, water baptisms um, in the church. It's verse uh, 11 through 13 of chapter 2. Yeah, the faithful saying. Um, this is a trustworthy statement. So either something at a baptismal service or a hymn that they used to sing in the early church. He, whatever it was, doesn't really matter, but he's obviously quoting something here simply from the way he speaks. It is a trustworthy statement. If we died with him, we will also live with him. Now, I know we talked about this last week, but I'm going to ask you again. What does he mean, if we died with him, we will live with him? Mm. Yeah, it's the it's the being born again. It's the being identified with Christ's death, his burial, and his resurrection. Romans 6 is the cross-reference. It's not your dying to yourself daily. It's not your surrendering your, um, uh, what Paul says um, in Romans 12, um, the living sacrifice. It's not even that. It's your identification with Christ that God does. If you died with him, Galatians 2.20, for I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. What do you think that means? Yeah. Yes. 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 And rewarding. Yeah, you're going to reign, rule and reign with him. So whatever's happening here, if you trust that this is the preparation for what's going to happen through eternity, yeah, it's enduring. Yeah, and persevering. Yes, definitely. And we know from the scriptures that there are crowns for those who who do persevere and who do endure. There are varying crowns. I don't get the whole reward system. In, in I don't get it, but it's there. So, um, yeah, so if we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. What does that mean? Yeah, didn't believe in him in the first place. I'm sure there's lots of different opinions. That's mine. That's mine. I'm sure there are lots of dis- different opinions about that. But if we deny him, he will also deny us. And I'm taking that from Matthew 7. Depart from me, I never knew you. Um, uh, if we, It's possible to um, look like a Christian, sound like a Christian, even behave like a Christian, and not be a Christian. And when the chips are down, to say, I don't believe 
Christ. Because actually, as, as Paul's made clear, this is not a set of doctrines. This is a relationship. You believe a person. And when you deny that person, you're basically saying that person is not God, is not the Savior. You're not just denying some things he did or might do or the promises he makes. You're denying who he is. And you cannot deny who Christ is and still be a believer. You can't. You can say, I'm not sure I trust that. I'm not sure about his protection. I'm not sure about healing. I'm not sure about this. I'm not sure about that. But you cannot deny him being God. And that's what they crucified him for. Because he, being a mere man, made himself equal with God. And that's what they could not accept. Um, in John's Gospel, it's really clear. He keeps over and over, I and the Father are one. I only do what I see him doing. I only speak what I hear him saying. And that's what they eventually said we cannot have. He cannot be one with the Father. He cannot be God. So when we're denying him, we're denying the fact that he is God. And then if we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. What does that mean? Yeah. He can't deny himself. He can't be anything less than faithful because he is God. But think about this. If we are faithless, how could you be faithless? Yeah, how could you be faithless? I mean, how would that manifest itself? What would that look like? Doubt. It might look like doubt. It might look like, I'm not sure about this or about the other thing. But one thing I am sure about is that Jesus is God. I may not be sure about my own life. I may not be sure about my faith. I'm constantly tested by my own faith and the shallowness of it. So I'm, that may be true about me, but it's not him. It's not me that I'm trusting in. It's who Christ is. So if I am faithless... He is faithful because he cannot deny himself. So, yeah, that's what Hudson Taylor said. Um, what was it? Um, I've got it, still got it here. We do not put our faith, we do not put faith in it in our faith or in our feelings. We do not put faith in our faith or in our feelings. We do not put our faith in our strength or our courage. We simply trust that all that Christ has promised, he will do. We put our faith in Christ. Yeah, exactly. So, um, uh, I'm sorry, I quoted what I'd written. We do not put our faith in, so probably you were wondering. That doesn't sound like Hudson Taylor. Um, <laughs> okay, I've got, the, I've got it even in italics here to show that it's him. Uh, he often said, apparently, it is not by trying to be faithful, but in looking to the faithful one that we win the victory. That sounds so much better. Um, so, I, you know, I, I'm sure there are other interpretations of what these verses mean, and I'm sure that um, they could deal, we could do a lot more digging into them. But the reality is Christ has promised us eternal life. We have a promise of eternal life in Christ Jesus. And so we trust in his faithfulness to his own promise rather than our faith in him.
Um, if you have to trust your own faith that it will never waver, that you will never fall, you're in trouble. But the, what we trust in is that he will always pick us up and always lead us on. So I think that's the end. Um, yeah, Father, thank you that... Um, Thank you uh, that we had the opportunity, actually, to go through some of these things again. Thank you, Father, that, um, that you always um, bring goodness out of our mistakes. And I thank you, Lord, that we have been able to really look into these verses and pick them apart a little bit more. Help us to understand them. Paul said to Timothy, consider these things. Remember, th- think about these things, uh, for, for you will give understanding. And that's what we want now, Lord. We're asking you for wisdom and understanding because we believe that you give wisdom without partiality. That if we lack wisdom, you will give it to us if we ask. And we thank you so much, Lord, for there is so much here that we want to understand. So, Lord, I thank you for this evening. I praise you, Father. ask you to do what you've promised to do this week, and that is to guard what we have entrusted to you so that we come again next week, ready to hear again from from this letter to Timothy. In Jesus' name, amen.